Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. We're back on OutKick 360 on the OutKick network. I'm Chad Withrow alongside Paul Kuharski. Big day in sports, Major League Baseball opening day. David Reed's Cubs playing right now. I looked up at one point, Cubs were ahead 3-1. to one. I thought, oh, Reed's been quiet over there, doing his job as chairman of the board, must be happy. Then I look up again, five minutes later, and it's 3-3. Three to three. Uh, But it does appear that the Cubs have a little something brewing, no pun intended, as they play the Brewers. Bottom of the seventh, Cubs-Brewers tied at three. Uh, Tyler in studio with us also, big Cleveland Guardians fan, still weird for Nailed me to say. It. Cleveland Guardians lead the Royals one to nothing. When I look at the Guardians logo, Paul, it makes me think about um, the Angels of the California Angels day when Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in Angels in the outfield. Like that early, mid-90s Angels logo. There's something about that when you just look at the Guardians logo with the color that reminds me of that Old California Angels. I don't uh, know why. It makes me think of the Indians because it's in that same yeah, a little bit. font. Uh, Cardinals lead the Pirates 1-0, bottom of the second inning. Masters leaderboard update. Let's get you that. There has been some movement. Right now, there are two tied at the top. Cameron Smith from New Zealand, four under in the clubhouse. Dustin Johnson making a run today through 10 holes. He is at four under par. Uh, he's got... Some birdie opportunities ahead. So Dustin Johnson tied for the lead right now at four under. Joaquin Neiman, three under par. Scotty Scheffler, my guy, current world number one, three under par. Danny Willett, the Brit, at three under par. Uh, You've got a collection of players at two under. Tiger Woods in the clubhouse today, one under par. Solid day for Tiger Woods right now. Only three off the lead. He's in the clubhouse, one under par, along with Cameron Champ. Lucas Glover also at one under. Brooks Kepka through eight right now at one under par. Last year's champion Hideki Matsuyama, even par. He is in the clubhouse for the day. Sergio Garcia, another former champion, even par through 10. Rory McIlroy at even par through eight. That is your Masters leaderboard update as of right now. Player to watch on the course, Dustin Johnson. Again, through 10 at four under par. Be a nice... Nice story, Paul. Uh, Dustin Johnson could make a run this weekend. We've been talking about you know, who's going to be that story outside of Tiger because he is the story. Dustin Johnson's a good candidate. Yeah. Um, pretty popular guy. I, I'm. <laughs> it's not as good a story for me as Cam Smith. Yeah, same with me with, with Scotty Scheffler. Not a great story for the Titans. They are now implicated in the Brian Flores lawsuit about racial discrimination across the NFL and their coaches hiring practices. Uh, Ray Horton, Paul, you've got the story at paulkarski.com. He's got claims that uh, it was a token interview with him for the Rooney Rule and that they'd already made their decision on Mike Malarkey, and he has now joined the Brian Flores lawsuit. 
Titans, of course, issue a statement saying, you know, everything was above board and they conducted four legitimate interviews. Um, Terrell Austin, Ray Horton, Doug Marone, and Mike Malarkey were the candidates in, in 2016. Amy Adams Strunk was a relatively new owner. Uh, she liked Mike Malarkey a lot. She promoted him from um, interim coach. Um, she promoted him to interim coach when she fired Ken Wisenhunt, who was hired by her brother-in-law, Tommy Smith, who had a very bad term as the head of the family after Bud Adams died. Um, so, you know, I can't say for sure whether they followed the rules. Nobody could say for sure what was in her and the Titans administration's mind uh, at, at the time. But I do think, uh, you know, there's an inherent difficulty when you have an interim coach that you like in terms of pausing the process and legitimately interviewing um, others, particularly outsiders. Horton was an insider, a defensive coordinator, um, hired by the previous coach who had been ousted. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you legislate this. I can understand how Horton feels. Uh, I can understand how all those candidates would feel when the interim coach gets the job. Does he have a leg up coming into uh, the, the, the process? If she likes him, if ownership likes the interim coach, he's got a huge advantage over the three other candidates, whether they're on staff or not. She needs to fulfill the Rooney rule. She did it. Uh, double what was required at the time by interviewing Terrell Austin and by interviewing Ray Horton. But, um, you know, it was no secret in the media, in fandom, in the building, that Mike Malarkey went into the thing, if, if not as a guy who already had the job, as a very clear leader in the clubhouse, if you will. Malarkey said in this podcast, you know, it was awkward to him to be sitting down with John Robinson after they hired uh, the new GM, knowing he had the job. Um, and, and that this whole thing was kind of, you know, for show. Um, and so that's, that's what is, is the main piece of evidence for Ray Horton. I went back, um, John Wooten of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, which really tracks minority hiring and minority opportunity, um, had told the Tennessean that, that Horton was uncomfortable with the process, felt insulted by the process. Ray Horton didn't, I didn't call Ray Horton. Ray Horton called me. And gave me a, a, a very strong quote um, denying that. He said, <clears throat> I'm not insulted. I was very happy Mrs. Strunk gave me an interview. I think she was very impressed with me. I was told some ideas I gave are going to be implemented. I'm still under contract. I'm talking about a contract extension. The insulted comment is not true. I'm very happy. I was very happy to be interviewed. Now, is that what Ray Horton felt at that time? Or did Ray Horton feel like for, for career survival, he couldn't be seen as being upset uh, and he needed to smooth things over? I can't say for sure, but I'm sure the Titans are going to point to that quote in any kind of legal battle here saying that he, he was fine um, and, and that he's going to say his true feelings were what John Wooten said and what he's saying now after hearing Mike Malarkey's podcast sentiments from two years ago on a not very well heard Pittsburgh podcasts. Yeah, it's the first I've heard of it, uh, of this podcast interview and him saying that. And I think it was probably a poor choice of words by Mike Malarkey, but you brought this up, Paul. Mike Malarkey owes nothing to the Titans, 
and is not real happy with the Titans and how things went down. So he's not trying to protect anyone there. Uh, I have since today talked to someone who was there for the process the whole time um, and said it was a sham, that he had the job, just as you said earlier, that everybody in the building knew he had the job, that uh, Amy Adams Strunk preferred him and was going to hire him, and they fulfilled the Rooney rule by interviewing Ray Horton. Um, and Terrell Ross. Yes. And, and, you know, and Ray Horton was easy because he's there. They had to pay for travel to get anyone there. I mean, this, this is the problem, though. And I think on its face, the Rooney rule, there's great intention behind it, right? But this is where it becomes a problem in that this was a sham. Ray Horton's right, but it's the rule that made it the sham. They had to do it. They knew who they were going to hire, but they had to fulfill the, the Rooney rule with league rules to do it. So they interviewed people after they knew who they were going to hire. And well, those people didn't get a fair chance because they already had their hire. I, I think, you know, <clears throat> there is some middle ground here where she's allowed to know what she wants to do. I mean, she has to be allowed to know what she wants to do. She owns the team she's allowed to hire. But, I completely agree with but that. But the, the Rooney way. rule forces a situation where she's obligated to sit down with at least one other person who, you know, has to be willing to do it knowing that he's, pro he's probably not getting the job or he's not getting the job, but that it benefits him in some way to sit down with Amy Armstrong and John Robinson where they may, at an owner's meeting, you know, talk to another owner who might be looking for someone and, and say, hey, you know, Ray Horton really impressed us when we talked to him. Terrell Austin really impressed us when we sat down with him. You ought to talk to him. That, that's supposed to be kind of the contagion element of this, that these guys because of this rule, get additional exposure that they may not have otherwise gotten, that if it doesn't pay off from the interview in question, creates some buzz for them, creates some uh, rub-off effect. How'd that work out for Ray Horton? It didn't. He had one more job in 2019. He's been out of the league since. Uh, so now he's jumping yeah, two, on this lawsuit. Two more jobs. Yeah. Well, I'm saying a guy who contacted you – to dispute a claim that he was upset about the interview, now has been out of the league, out of coaching for three years. Last job was one year in Cleveland in 2019. So now he's jumping on this lawsuit to say that he's upset about a 2020 interview where Mike Malarkey said exactly what everyone in that building knew yeah. at the time that he was getting the job. And, and it I didn't work out for Steve Wilkes either. I guarantee you Ray Horton knew that Mike Malarkey was getting the job. Yeah, it would have been time. naive for him. Not It doesn't look good for him if he didn't know. Because then he would have been out of touch with what everybody in the building knew, like your source said, which I, I, I knew, which the media covering the beat knew, which the city knew. Everybody objected to it because people thought the Titans should do better than Mike Malarkey, who was a twice-failed head coach oh, it was, getting a third chance. It was very and much Amy an Adam Strunk, Amy Adams Strunk changed her mind in two years, and he got fired after he took the team to the playoffs before John Robinson got to hire his own guy in Mike Vrabel. Let's go to Steve Wilkes. I mean, Steve Wilkes, I, I don't think he was a very good head coach, but he's got some legitimate complaints in his thing. He got fired after one year working with the GM who was suspended for portion of that year for DUI. Black mark on his record, not on Steve Wilkes' record. Josh Rosen, a busted in one year quarterback who was drafted, what, Chad, 12th? Yeah, he was a, a high pick. Guess who didn't pick him? Steve Wilkes. Steve Kime picked him. Now, you could say what you want, but the failures of that Arizona Cardinals team, you could fairly, if you're pinning them more on the coach or the GM 
Who's it more fair to pin them well, on? Well, see, here's where it gets difficult, though. I agree with everything Wilkes is saying and what you're saying about the shadiness of those two situations and how differently it worked out for both, right? Uh, not knowing anything personally about Steve Wilkes and his personal relationships with ownership or people around the building. I know nothing the about Bill this. Huh? The Billwell family. Yeah, I know nothing about you know how that all worked out. Um, but you still have to show evidence of racism. Right. Which is hard to prove. So that's, I mean, that's going to be difficult because if there's not evidence of that, then you've got a problem, which why I keep going back to the biggest, most serious thing in the Brian Flores lawsuit is the, the implication that Stephen Ross was trying to bribe him to throw games. And that could lead to problems for him. And I want to go back to, to Ray Horton and the Titans. It is Amy Adams' strunk prerogative to hire someone she's comfortable with that has been with the organization that she felt like did a good job in an interim capacity for the full-time job. Which he did. He did a pretty good job, no, given the terrible circumstances. It was, it was an Ken unpopular decision with the fan base at the time, right? Very unpopular in the city of Nashville. Made the decision anyway. Went full steam ahead. Eventually parted ways when things didn't go well and, and he wasn't doing what the organization wanted. So I have no issue with that. The problem then becomes... When Mark, Mike Malarkey admits to exactly what we all knew about it, well, Ray Horton, I think, kind of rightfully could throw his name in the hat and say, well, look, here it is. Here's an example where they're not abiding by the, the actual spirit of the Rooney rule. They had their decision made, and I was uh, a token interview that they had no interest in even conducting the interview. You know, and, and he's not saying they didn't take it seriously, but he's saying that he was not seriously considered because the decision was made. This is the slippery slope we go down. I'll give an example from college. Marcus Freeman, the head coach at, at Notre Dame. Notre Dame had Marcus Freeman on staff, loved him. It is Notre Dame's prerogative to elevate Marcus Freeman to the head coaching job when Brian Kelly leaves. They shouldn't have to go interview a white coach or any coach outside of Marcus Freeman if they want to elevate Marcus Freeman. Now, if it's just going to be this broad, well, owners across the NFL – are classically racist because they hire white coaches to be head coaches, then that's a tough argument to make. And it's also, it's definitely a tough argument to prove. So, Paul, we've talked about it, but that balance of an owner doing what they feel is right for the organization while also you know, doing what's right in terms of interviewing a diverse list of candidates. An example. Pete Carroll, we'll have Armando Salguero on tomorrow, and he wrote a story uh, with sources at OutKick about this. But Pete Carroll goes all willy-nilly, goes off on ownership across the NFL at the owners' meetings based on reports, you know, yelling at them to say, be more diverse. This is your fault. Stop only hanging out with people who look like you in your own close little circle and be more diverse in your hiring. And then Armando Salguero's writing, and this is Pete Carroll who hasn't hired a black coordinator. In his time with the, the Seahawks. Which is a long time. And a lot of coordination. Which screams of hypocrisy. Yes. But I, I don't have, like, I think you're backwards when you say, like, Notre Dame's not obligated to, to interview a white coach. White coaches don't have problems getting jobs. Black coaches do have problems getting jobs. And so I don't have a problem with there being uh, attention on the idea that they, uh, you got to try to look for some ways to get them some opportunities. In the case where an interim coach is getting the job, 
it's not a real, uh, there's not a real avenue there. There's not a real chance to make an opportunity there. I don't have an issue. If you've got a, a blank slate starting from nowhere hiring situation, I, I, I have no issue saying, hey, look at minorities in, in your search. You should do that. It worked for Mike Tomlin, and it's not working a lot, but putting them in the mix isn't going to hurt anything, and maybe something good comes out of it, and they, they are having problems getting jobs for whatever reason. We don't have to delve into all of that. But everybody should get a look, and there are qualified guys out there who don't necessarily get a fair shake. That's, that, to me, is a truism. The interim coach thing, though, is a disaster, generally speaking. If you're hiring from within your staff, there's just it's going to be a charade. If you know you're hiring an interim guy, very who's changed their mind on that? Well, okay. If so- you're removing an interim tag from a guy to make him a permanent coach – there really isn't an opportunity there. Yeah, but I would also ask this. Judging by this lawsuit and what you see in the league right now, has the Rooney rule worked for head coaches? No. Ryan Flores is arguing legally that it has not worked. L- largely it has not worked. That, it, that it's been a sham. And I'll, I'll warn against this, and this is not me you know, protecting the rights of the billionaire class or anything like that, but you want to watch a rich and powerful person not do something? Try to tell them what to do. Yeah. Try that. That's what the league has tried. Hire, not hire, interview minority coaches. So that'll lead to more hires. And what's happened? They haven't hired a bunch of them. They don't like being told what to do. Now, I want the best candidate to get hired, right? And I would think there's a lot of minority candidates that are very qualified for these jobs that should get them. And I would like to believe that the best candidates per those owners, are getting hired, regardless of race. That's what I want. I want to live in a world where we don't have to force a certain segment of people to get interviewed for something because I believe that the person doing the hiring is actually hiring the best candidate. I don't know that we necessarily live in that world at all times. I'd be naive to say that we do. Well, we don't because we've seen some awful coaches hired. my, My point is, if the Rooney rule isn't working... There has to be something, right, that I, I don't know what the answer is here, but I, I think that what Brian Flores is arguing, now what Steve Wilkes is arguing, what Ray Horton is arguing is, we're in a place now where the Rooney rule has not worked. I, I, I think it hasn't, but I think uh, until they come up with something else, they're going to keep trying. Another thing on Flores, before we close the book on this, he documented in some way, shape, or form Ross's request for him to lose. He took this to other executives with the Dolphins, including Chris Greer. So, did they take it somewhere? Did they take it back to Ross? Did they take it to the NFL? What did they do? There's a big question now looming. Four or five executives with the Dolphins were aware that this offer was made. I don't know if he said he's offering me $100,000 a game or if he just said, I'm being pushed to lose. So it is now beyond raw, uh, beyond Flores. Uh, this has been in the amended complaint that he took it to people, other people in power with the Dolphins. So the question is now, what did Chris Greer do? What did these other executives do? It's not strictly a Flores-Ross thing. And these other people are on the hook. If you hear your boss is telling your coach to lose, don't you have an obligation to take that somewhere, either back to your boss or to somebody over your boss, which would be the league. 
more fingers in this thing, uh, in the lake, so to speak. Big question coming up in the next segment. What we would do to change Major League Baseball to improve the product. A lot of talk about this with rules. We're not looking at this just from a rules perspective. We'll get into this discussion when we come back. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So I've got a pitch in my coach pitch softball league tonight. How's he on? six-year-old Dodger. But Dodger. Not a Dodger, Red Sox, actually. No, much better uh, to be a Six-year-old daughter. Uh, the arm is fine, Paul. Uh, my knee's a little tricky today. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what's going on, but never had knee problems, but I'm walking around, uh, walking around downtown today going to lunch, and uh, my right knee has become an issue. So Got to call in the, yeah, the I mean, replacement? I'm, I'm not quite to Tiger Woods level you know, with pain, uh, certainly not with his pain threshold and his injury, but... I feel like I'm going to be limping around. I'm not going to be walking 18 in Augusta today, but I feel like I'm going to be limping around the mound tonight as I try to deliver these pitches right on the money. The issue now with the, the coach pitch league, by the way, I could spend two hours. Uh, I, I'll never do it on this show. I'll never bore you to this extent. But if anyone, if dads out there or moms that pitch in any coach pitch baseball or softball league, if you want to get some sort of Zoom forum going, I could host a two-hour summit on pitching in, in coach pitch softball or baseball for those that do it. Um, the issue that I have now, Paul, is you've got a divide of girls on your team, okay? And I'm sure you saw this when young Simon was in the coach pitch area. But you've got the older group that's played a little bit more. Some of them even get instruction elsewhere. And when they go get instruction, they've got an instructor who is throwing it fast to them yep. as they hit it. If you throw them the lob ball you throw to the five-year-old, they're going to be way out in front every time and miss it. So now it's the varying speeds. I get used to, and I try to chop up the lineup with young and old so I don't have too long of a stretch of all four- and five-year-old girls in a row, right? And I don't want to make it too top-heavy with the lineup. So I get some of the better batters early and then space it out. But bouncing back and forth between speeds is way more difficult than, than one would think. And it's not just that. I could throw it at different speeds. The problem is I get really accurate at a certain slow speed when I throw it in there. And then when I try to speed it up, I may hit one of them, you know, throw too far inside or go way too far outside where they can't hit it. I would think it's harder to, to, to coach pitch softball than it was baseball. I threw like a dart and I just got my arm going, you know, the same, 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 same. And that sameness is what I kind of relied on. I even sometimes set my feet opposite, that my feet weren't involved at all. And I was just doing did you, this arm motion. Did you get on one knee to do it? <clears throat> no. I've seen dads that bring out a knee pad, and they get on Put one knee, and down. they yeah. throw it like a dart. Yeah, they get on their glove. Or the, I know one dad that's got like, I mean, it looks like this thing was made for coach pitch baseball. Yeah. And he gets on this thing that props his knee up a bit. It's a soft pad. And he gets on there, it looks like, Jacob Swanson at Cobra throwing darts. And, I mean, this thing is just right on the money every time. But throwing it underhand with any kind of loop on it, I would think is a harder repeat motion. 
Yeah, it's it's difficult. I, and like my daughter, for instance, like she wants to see it. All right, so I kind of lob it up there where it gets eye level, and if it gets eye level and it's dropping down, that's where she'll hit it Crank. the hardest. So she likes it a little bit slower. And then trying to speed it, it's, it's difficult. Anyway, I say all that to get to the actual baseball topic uh, that we're going to get into right now. Opening day is going on right now. In fact, I can tell you that um, David Reed's Cubs are leading the Brewers currently 5-4. to four David, would you interject? In the bottom that, of the eighth. He keeps really making a big deal out of your Cubs, and I find that, that at least last year you were way out on baseball, generally speaking. And I, generally speaking, I am. I got, excited. I got excited because I thought this was finally going to be the year that I made it to Wrigley Field. And then I saw ticket prices and hotel prices, and I realized I was not going to make it at Wrigley Field this year. So I'm kind of I, I can name stay in Gary, I can Indiana. name you yeah and get killed. Um, <laughs> no thanks. I'm taking my life in my own hands and going to Chicago. Period. Uh, I can name one person on this Chicago Cubs team right now. Uh-huh. Ian Happ. The rest I have no clue. Kyle Hendrickson is there. That's it. The, the, this team is unrecognizable to me. So we can. Let me Maybe re- call let me, his no, Cubs every other time. Still let me rephrase this then. Uh, Jacob Swanson's Milwaukee Brewers currently trail the Cubs <laughs> five to four right now in the eighth. I'll, I'll move on to Jacob. It has now. nothing. That has since nothing he's from for him. Since he's from Wisconsin. It not has Milwaukee. nothing to do with him being from the Great White North. It's just because it's the only team named after alcohol. <laughs> That's right. Once they have more alcohol-related <laughs> and/or narcotic-related teams, then Jacob Swanson will uh, will root for them more. Um, Major League Baseball opening day. So. This was once, you know, again, I, I feel like I'm sounding way too old here, but it was a bigger deal. Uh, and it's a less big deal now because it's the opening Thursday of the Masters where Tiger Woods had a, a nice round, and most of the eyes of the sporting public is on that event. And it's backed up because of the lockout, um, so it's a little bit later than normal. But I'm not down on baseball. You know, I'm not someone who's coming in saying, boy, you know, the sport's in a bad spot, and it's just not that entertaining. I, I like it. You know, I'm, I'm a Major League Baseball fan, but I can also admit that there are things that need to be done to make it more enjoyable for more people, right? So what's something that you would do? And this could be a, you know, snap the finger kind of genie in a bottle type thing, Paul, that you would do to improve the sport or, or, or something that's not that. It's something very practical that can be done uh, immediately. What are you doing to improve the product? I'm a single-issue voter on, the, on this. I'll I'll take one issue, and I think I could do wonders for the game by addressing this one issue multiple ways. Pace of play. The game's got to be shorter and faster. And I've talked about this a lot. Every once in a while, I'll stumble on to to my favorite baseball game, a favorite baseball game of my lifetime, and the formative baseball game of my rooting, the 1978 uh, Yankees-Red Sox playoff game. By the way, this playoff game no longer exists. If you tie now in a situation, they just use tiebreakers to figure out who's the wild card and who's not. That saddens me huh. as an aside. Yankees, Red Sox, one-game playoff at Fenway Park in 1978. Once in a while, it'll be on <clears throat> Baseball Network. It is so fast, it looks like it's sped up. Thurman Munson catches the ball. He throws it to Goose Gossage. Goose Gossage is, is on the mound. He gets on the rubber. He throws it back to him. It's unbelievable how fast it could be. It looks fake, but it's what baseball was. There is far too much stuff. I've joked about this. They need to outlaw Velcro. Guys step out of the box, and they redo. 
a glove, and they redo the other glove. Derek Jeter, a, a great player for my team, an all-time favorite, did this. I always think of Nomar Garcia-Pera. Nomar Garcia-Pera had a ritual. Mike Hargrove had a big ritual stepping in and out. And these are old-time guys. It, it's got to stop. Hideki Matsui was one of my favorite players. You know why? He stood in the box. He put one foot out of the box for a second and came back in the box. He didn't get all the way out of the box. He was in there to hit. He was a motionless hitter. He had a stance that didn't have a lot of waggle and all of that. He was economical with his motion, and he didn't care to get out of the box and walk around and take a lap. He was in there. His one foot, his back foot, he didn't move. He, he, he dug it in, and it was dug in for the at-bat. His other foot, we'd take it out for a second to look for a signal. He'd step back in. Everything that's pace of play. I don't really want a rule about how many times you could throw to first base because it's inorganic. But you can't throw to first base six times in a row. You can't. You hear the fans boo. All right? So if we have to limit how many times you could throw to first base and make you be more economical about it and suffer the consequences if you use up your three throws real fast, then the runner has an advantage. So be it. If we have to limit mound visits, which they've done, if we have to make a pitcher face three batters so that we can't change every batter, which is overdone by these overthinking analytic GMs who, who then feed it down to the managers and insist on these things. All of these things have to be eliminated or limited in order to speed up the game. I understand some people might not mind being at the ballpark for three hours plus on a Saturday afternoon if the beer lines are open and the weather is nice. But if I'm watching the Yankees on a weeknight in Nashville, Tennessee, or my mom is in, in suburban New York, two and a half hours is fine. Two, under three hours is perfect. Do everything you can, pitch clocks, whatever, to move the game along. Paul, I'm with you on this. Uh, I, I love the joke about eliminating Velcro. You know, that, that would be one way to help. How about just do what makes everything run in baseball? Incentivize it. Couldn't you work out a, a, a bonus structure for Major League Baseball for fast play? If you're a pitcher, that's the fastest like working it. pitcher. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, you could give little bumps in, in money in salary to teams that play the fastest, to players that play the fastest. I like that a lot. That spend the least time in between. Because I don't like the artificial idea of uh, some sort of pitch clock or at-bat Pitch clock, clock, I don't mind. It shouldn't be necessary. But limiting throws to first base, I mind, because that is inorganic. Yeah. But I don't want to see 10. I mean, you should be savvy enough to know if you're taking too much time. I want that to be step number one for players. But... I'm just sitting there thinking as you're saying this, why not incentivize it? I mean, I see this at the little league level. My kid plays 12U baseball. He throws very quickly, and, and I love it, and I don't know where he picked that up, but it's good. But some of these kids picked take a long dad, time. harping on it so Long much. time between pitches. What, where do you get that, and why? How much does a 12-year-old need to think? A catcher comes out to have a meeting. Simon had an old coach who was great. He goes, what are you meeting about? One is fastball, two is changeup. <laughs> That's really good. You, were you this coach? No, no. <laughs> this sounds like something you would say. I would. I, I, I've adopted he just, it yeah, since. But he was just the one yelling it from the stand. <laughs> no, I've adopted it, it since now. Like uh, I could, look, I could tell you. Fastball to his change. I can tell you why you're wasting your breath on the whole pace of play thing because the TV networks they don't care because the games, the games line. are still drawing well in the markets where they're airing. 
and the owners don't care because the longer the game lasts, the longer you're going to buy more $151 hamburgers and overpriced beer. Yeah, so but they people don't are care. leaving earlier too, not staying for the whole thing. That's true. I mean, I go back to the, you know, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is the bottom line. The bottom line is what makes the most money. So players would be incentivized to play faster if they got more money, but no one in ownership of the league cares because of, of what Reed said. I'm with you, though. Personally, I think it would improve the overall product, especially on television. Is an owner leaving early? I don't, I don't is know. Is an owner if it's, sitting uh, in his box for three and a half but hours? I don't, but, Paul, I don't know if it's as big of an issue if you're there. It's not. It's not. I think it's I, more watching. Like, those yeah. diehard fans know, that watch night, the game, they, they hate it. But, but we well, I don't live in a market where I have that option to do it. But if I'm if I'm going to a baseball game, I You're do not right. care how long it takes for that game to to finish. But my television watching of baseball has grown to nearly zero, and a lot of that had to do with the Cubs moving off of WGN, which was just always convenient for me. And now I have to go find it on Marquee Network wherever that lives Whatever but I, I my tolerance for television baseball and television unless it's the playoff games or the world series it, it's very little but i go to a game and i don't care how long it takes see i like it on tv uh, i i think I, I think it's in a lot of ways really good on tv because i'm on my phone during stuff all the time i lose plots on shows because i'm on my phone all the time so baseball is a very good thing to, for a two-screen night. Well, and here's my baseball watching, and I'm probably like a lot of people. I watch the Braves, but I watch the Braves when I'm at home eating dinner at night. I watch the beginning of the game or with the kids, and then kids go to bed. I'm watching something else and, and following the Braves game on my phone. And if it's interesting, I'm going back. So eighth or ninth inning, if it's close, if they've, they've got a rally going or something's going on, I'm going and watching. So... During the summer, spring and summer nights, I'm typically watching the first two or three innings and maybe the last inning or the last two innings and, not, and missing the body of or the if game. if you're watching an hour show and the hour show's over, you might then yeah. catch an inning. And it's great background. You know, Best it, background. If I, it's, it's on. The sound's on. I can hear what's going on. I can see it while I'm doing whatever. If I'm outside grilling, I can watch through the window and see the game. And it's, it's a great feeling to do that. And on the weekend, it's just on while I'm doing other things and I'm not really paying much attention. I feel there's a lot of people like that. For the people at the game, I do think there's an element of it can't be too long if you're there. And if it is... I think on a weeknight... If it is, you just leave. Yeah, on a weeknight, it can be too long. But I'd like to see the end. Um, So mine, I'll get into it quickly. I I mentioned it earlier. Um, I think Shohai Otani is one of the greatest stories in sports and should be one of the most exciting, most talked about athletes in any sport. And because he plays for the L.A. Angels, not enough people care. If I'm looking out what's best for baseball, and I hate to say this, Paul, but he should be a New York Yankee. Thank you. He should be a Boston. He should be with the Boston Red Sox. No. He should be, I would put the Atlanta Braves in that category just because it's more of a regional team in the Eastern time zone. St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs, Anything but a West Coast team of such little significance as the Angels, who aren't really winning anything. And he's not staying relevant throughout the year, and we're not watching him in the playoffs. I said the same thing about Mike Trout. I say the same thing about him. If you want to improve the overall national profile of the sport and where it's headed, you need that guy on national TV more. You need more talk about him. You need him out front. You need a guy who does something so unique 
as being a great starting pitcher in the league and one of the best sluggers in the sport, you need that out front, and he's just never going to be out front with the if Angels. If they won a World Series, would it put them out front enough? No, enough because more? it's the Angels. I mean, I still think there's – even if they all of a sudden won, which they're not. I mean, I'm looking at the standings last year. I'm thinking, how does a team with Mike Trout and Otani, how are they under 500 if he's in on August? The, if he's on the Twins. Well, I saw uh, Carlos Correa you know, just sign with the Twins, and what's the immediate backlash to that? Oh, here's a guy who doesn't care about winning. He wanted a paycheck. He went to the Twins. He doesn't care about winning. And that's, that's unfortunate because there are good organizations out there that obviously are wanting to win the World Series or trying to. Twins division's actually that, pretty That good. have before. And I think the Twins have been a good organization. Yeah, they a go to playoffs and lose the Yankees every year. Yeah. But, I mean, they've won World Series, you know, before. Not the 1991, I guess, was the last one. Uh, 87 or late in the 80s before that. But, yeah, I mean, it's just those guys – Baseball is better when that guy is on the highest of high-profile teams. It just is. And the rest of the country can hate him because he's a Yankee or if you're a Yankees fan because he's on the Red Sox or whatever. It doesn't matter. I think for the majority of sports fans, it's just the impact of that. You know, LeBron James on the Lakers makes a big impact, should make a big impact, should probably make a bigger impact because he's on the Lakers, right? Shohei Otani needs to be a New York Yankee. That would improve the sport well, overall. I think in basketball, too, it can work. You can have a superstar on a smaller team because it's a five-man game and a 12-man roster, and the economics of the sport allow for a small market team to win once in a while. The Bucks are the defending champions. Yeah, that's true. It happens a lot less frequently, it feels like, in baseball. Um, at, with half of the league not playing to win every year or a third. When we come back, we'll close up shop. I'll give you an updated Masters leaderboard. Uh, Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith have some company atop the leaderboard. We will tell you about that. We'll preview tomorrow's show as well. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back. Outkick 360 live from our 6th and Peabody Studios. Downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine Yeehaw Beer. Walked around earlier with the Masters going on. The Masters, Paul, in Augusta, beautiful on any TV, yes. especially beautiful on this gigantic TV inside here at 6th and Peabody. Really, really terrific. You can see the blades of grass. You really can. You can see it all. I can see it all right now with the Masters leaderboard, and we have a little bit of movement. Uh, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith were tied at the top at 4-under. Sungjae M has joined the two of them at 4-under par. He is through 14 right now. Joaquin Neiman, the Chilean, at three under. Scotty Scheffler, current world number one, also at three under par with Danny Willett. Will Zalatoris making a charge. He is through 12 at three under par. Um, is it Kokrak? I think that's right. I wanted to get the pronunciation right. At two under par. Brooks Kepka at two under. Tony Finau, one under, done for the day. Tiger Woods. Watched a lot of him today. A lot of you did. One under par in the clubhouse. 
at the conclusion of today. Cameron Champ, even par. Webb Simpson at one under. Rory McIlroy now through 10. He is at even par. Let's continue to scroll through the leaderboard. Sergio Garcia, plus one through 14. Bubba Watson, former Masters champion, plus one through 14. Colin Morikawa, former PGA champion, plus one through 12. John Rahm, the Vegas favorite coming in at plus one through 12 holes. Xander Shoffley, plus one through 11. So some big names at the, on the top of the leaderboard. And of course, Tiger Woods right there. Three off the lead, Paul, uh, as uh, Cam Smith, Sungjae Im, and Dustin Johnson all tied at four under. Dustin Johnson, by the way, on the 13th hole. So it still has some time to uh, to move up or move down that leaderboard. It was pretty cool this morning. I was just laying on my couch with it on my phone watching the uh, first six holes or so of, of Tiger. Well, you know, it's so the, the live coverage on ESPN on Thursday and Friday doesn't start technically until 2 p.m. Eastern, but they did not turn away. They have something called Sports Center at the Masters, and it's the Masters. They just have Sports Center anchors talking over the top, top of it. But once Tiger was on, I, I had it on, and they were playing every shot that he took. They, well, I they didn't rarely, realize that. I just had that. They app rarely on. broke away from it. They'd break away in between holes and show a couple highlights, then go back and show Tiger Woods. I um, I understand the prestige and uh, all of that about the event. I, I I hope they'll come a day where they'll just broadcast the whole thing the way we would all like it to be broadcast, so that uh you know I've got a giant TV instead of this screen that, that I could watch it on and see the whole thing, uh, every shot. But today, I mean, the story was Tiger, and they had, you know, their featured group was Tiger, so it, it was akin to watching a, a broadcast. It's the biggest event to have the least availability to watch that's out there. And it kind of goes in line. Now, we had this debate years ago, but it sort of goes in line with the exclusivity that the event wants to have with everything with how the television rights work. I don't know, though. It's a supply and demand thing, too, and it creates more demand, but how much more demand can you create? I mean, you've got four days. Why not let us see it? So Tiger Woods now, he's going to tee off in the afternoon group tomorrow. So he gets a good amount of recovery time. Um, We talked to Virgil Herring earlier who said the uphill holes, 8-14, were two of the ones he pointed out. He struggled on those today to continue to watch that because those roles where he's taking his second shot and it, all of his weight is on that right repaired leg as he takes his shot. That's something to watch. But, Paul, the big watch with Tiger now is can he make it through four rounds? Make the cut, get through four rounds. After one round today, though, you can start to daydream about even more with Tiger Woods because he's right there. Yeah, I played a, a solid round today with a lot of people playing solid rounds simultaneously. Um, but you know, a lot of scores are in now and he's in a very good standing compared to the field. Um, so you would hope for more of the same tomorrow and, and then we get a chance to see him play hopefully on the weekend. You know, physically he looks, uh, I told you guys this during a break, physically he looks good. Sometimes he like walks just, watching just him, fine. But there's, you know, his upper body looks good. Like his face looks good, revitalized a bit. Like I, I was expecting him to look worse than he does. You can see a slight limp, you know, so at a certain point when he's walking downhill or uphill especially, you see a slight limp. But other than that, he looks in good form so far. And the score shows it at are 100. You, are you like me and in a odd way you want to see him in shorts? Uh, no. 
I don't want to see any of these guys in shorts, honestly. Uh, to me, it like ruins the mystique. I, I just want to see what the leg looks like. You want to see the scar? I, I want to see if, if the leg looks like the other leg. And hmm. I don't know why. It's uh, perverse. Probably. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating, Paul. Uh, fascinating show tomorrow we're going to have. So we got Armando Salguero pushed his spot to tomorrow talking NFL. More Dolphin-specific stuff. More Dolphin stuff. Tom Brady <laughs> maybe be the owner of the Dolphins one day if you, if you, uh, if you believe these reports. We've got Austin Price, Brent Hubbs coming on to talk uh, some SEC and Tennessee sports tomorrow as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we have more Masters talk and reaction as, again, Tiger Woods, one under par in the clubhouse, three off the lead as Cam Smith, Sungjae M, and Dustin Johnson right now tied for the lead. Cam Smith in the clubhouse, M and Johnson still on the course right now. Tiger will be on the course during our show tomorrow. Yes, yes. Fun show today, big show tomorrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us tomorrow as well. We hope to see you there also. Hutton told me to give you a very important message. We want you not to block the box. Don't go into an intersection if you can't get out when the light changes. And lock the locks.